Today's episode, how best to use IBC. I'm John Montoya. Uh, this is John Parings. All right. We are authorized advisors for the infinite banking concept. And today's topic, uh, we're going to be talking about um, what happens after you get approved, you get that policy issued, and you start building that cash value. Now what? Yeah. How best to use IBC, I think, is the title of this one. So um, I think, uh, you know, in our in our notes here, you you had a, a great starting comment, you know, congrats on getting started. Now what? Don't set it and forget it. You know, it's the mindset of the employee versus the business owner. And I think that's a super important thing for us to touch on in terms of how do you actually use um, capital once you started accumulating. Yeah, absolutely. In Nelson's book, he, he says, use it or lose it. And uh, I, had, I had been talking about this concept with people, always explaining it as the employee versus the business owner mindset. And what that basically means to me is, you know, there, there's so many people that contribute to 401ks. They have this mindset where, you know, they're going to put that money into that qualified plan. And because they can't get access to it until age 59 and a half, they just kind of forget about it. You know, the, they might keep track of their quarterly statements and sometimes they don't even want to look at those, but it, it's that mindset where they're just going to put that money away and hope for the best that it'll be where it needs to be when they go to retire. It's the complete opposite mindset that we want to adopt when we undertake IBC because we want to have that business owner mindset. Yeah. And you know, when, when, when I talk to business owners or investors, I mean, they they gravitate towards the concepts that we teach very quickly because they understand the importance of having cash. They understand the importance of cash flow. And, you know, it's interesting. We live in a pretty, a good time right now where there's a lot of talk about, um, you know, if you get on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, you know, you got tons of people talking about starting your side hustle. You know, they, everyone wants to kind of, be their own uh, boss and, and have this, you know, life of freedom. And so the, you know, the, the side hustle idea is, is pretty popular right now. Well, one of the easiest side hustles you could ever start is starting your own bank, right? Your quote unquote bank, which is your infinite banking, uh, whole life insurance policy. And by doing that, I mean, you're, you're truly creating a source of capital that's generating, that will generate an income that's liquid and that will provide the capital you need to start an actual business down the road if that's something that you want to do. And so um, I think, you know, the best, easiest side hustle anyone could start right now is to start their own quote unquote bank. Nelson always said you should be in two businesses, whatever you do for a living to earn your income and the business of banking. The business of banking is the most powerful business in the world. It's an eternal business. It never goes away. No matter what happens in the world, we will always need banking. That's awesome. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't think I can even add anything to that. That's, that's totally true. Um, and so are we going to run through a couple of ideas or several ideas, I think, of what, what we can use the, the cash value of IBC? Yeah, absolutely. 
And I like the first one that you added to the notes because I was thinking about things we've used it for, but you hit on a, a, a good one, an elementary one that uh, I completely uh, didn't even think of. And uh, it's an obvious one, uh, the emergency fund. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of, especially, so we talk about employee versus business owner, um, you know, just speaking from personal experience, you know, when I was an employee, especially in my, in my younger days, you know, a lot of people have this concept or they get this idea that they're, you know, qualified retirement plans, they're labeled retirement savings plans, but that's really not what they are at all because you can't really access the money without taking penalties. And so a lot of people do not really have a great emergency fund set up and an emergency fund should be, I mean, it it can be, you know, it could be anything you want, but some, you know, common parameters are, you know, 30 days of, of liquid cash of your income or bills to pay. Then you can expand out to three months, six months of income, and, and maybe even one year of income. Um, as an emergency fund so that you can ride out some of the, you know, bumps that we're facing right now in the, in the COVID-19 situation. I'm going to share a quote from the great Bill Lenderman. He was an IBC practitioner, passed away a couple of years ago. He had this pearl of wisdom. Does having money safe and available when you need it take away any of your options? <laughs> Answer to that is no. Absolutely. And so we're talking about an emergency fund. What is that? It's safe money. It's available when you, you know, when you need it or want it, it's there. Um, I I think this is ultimately the ideal place for an emergency fund because for most people, what they're going to do is keep their emergency fund in someone else's bank, money Mm -hmm. that they hope to never use. And so it just sits there for the longest time earning next to nothing. And whatever it does earn is taxable. So at the very least, by keeping it in the policy, you're adding additional benefits to that money, better growth rate. You're not having to pay taxes on it as it grows. And of course, you're providing an additional death benefit for your family too. So all the way around, you know, it checks all the boxes to redirect that money that you have in a bank account for emergencies into your IBC policy. So true. And, you know, I was just working with a client today who had a little bit of cash, um, you know, a decent amount of cash sitting in a, in a, in a savings account. He wanted to start his infinite banking policy. And when, if you can start up a policy with a, a nice lump sum contribution in the beginning, and obviously there are parameters around that with, you know, controlling the MEC limits, the modified endowment contract limits, but it really um, uh, is a nice performance booster for your infinite banking style policy. Very true. We covered the emergency fund. Let's uh, talk about taking the policy for a test drive, because I think this is really important. And this, this would help people to get out of that employee mindset of setting it and forget it. And what I try to preach to clients is, look, when you, when you have your policy set up, you know, once you have, let's say, of cash value available, just take out a loan, take out a policy loan, see how easy it is. Yeah. And in fact, I had another client do that yesterday. (laughs) You know, he called up, called up the insurance company, 
said he wanted to do a policy loan and he called me afterwards. He's like, I can't believe how easy that was. And I was like, I said, yep, <laughs> it doesn't get much easier. And uh, so he's, um, he's actually going to use that to do some roof repairs. And, um, you know, so it's, it's already working for him, um, you know, where, where he has access to that cash to perform some jobs that need, need to be done. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. And it typically only takes three to five days to get that money into your account. Talking about how my client used it for uh, some, some roof repairs, you know, that gets into, you know, one of the first categories that we talked about in our notes is evaluating fixed living expenses. So what are some large annual expenses or maybe not annual, but, you know, even if it's, uh, you know, every 10, 20 years, whatever it is that require some savings, what are some of those things that we could use life insurance policy cash value to uh, cover and then pay back on our own terms? One of the things that you have is property taxes, and that's something that I'd like to hear more about how, how you use that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you think about it, you know, we, we've, we have to pay property taxes every single year on property that we own. So, you know, for, for a lot of people, they escrow that money. There's no reason why we can't do that on our own, save up the money first, and then take out a loan, pay those property taxes, and then save it all back. Basically do a loan repayment to recapitalize what we spent in property taxes and just rinse and repeat over and over again. But in the meanwhile, we're never giving up the ability to earn interest on that money. I got a, um, my first lesson in um, lost opportunity costs when I was in college. I was running a painting business. And I, uh, I was talking to one of the guys, that a, a, a client who I was painting his house. His name was Red. And uh, this old, uh, old college professor. And I told him how I was excited I was getting, a, getting my tax refund check. And he's like, he's like, why are you excited about that? And I was like, well, I like it because now, you know, now I get this big check at the end of the day. It's almost like I saved the money and now I'm just getting it back. And he's like, yeah, but what could you have been, what could you have done with that money over the course of the year? You basically gave the government a free loan. And I was like, oh, I, I never, I never even thought of it like that. And, um, and that, that kind of ties into your next point of income taxes, but you know, property taxes, all these things that we have to pay on an annual basis that we just kind of have to stuff cash somewhere where it's not doing anything for us. This is the, this is the great loss of lost opportunity cost over the course of our entire financial lives. And it adds up to a lot of money. I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of our financial life that most people don't even realize that money's getting away from them. Right. Too busy chasing rate of return on the maybe 10% they are saving in qualified right. plans. And they miss the, the bigger picture on, you know, the 34 and a half cents that they're paying out the window to finance their lives. Right. So yeah, I did mention income taxes as a business owner paying my quarterly taxes. That that's another use for IBC. Uh, we go into uh, school tuition for kids. Uh, I had three kids uh, 18 months apart. And let me just say, putting them through preschool, that was like a whole nother mortgage. That was painful. <laughs> oh man. Um, but then, you know, you have private schooling, uh, ultimately college. I mean, th these are all things 
where having IBC policies are a benefit because that's money that is constantly, you know, being saved for, then used and then reused and reused and reused over and over again. And the entire time it's earning un uninterrupted compounding interest plus dividends. Yes. The next one I especially like uh, because annual vacations are important for my family. It's something that we look forward to each year. And I didn't grow up taking vacations. I mean, if we went uh, out of town for a soccer tournament, <laughs> that was our vacation. And, you know, didn't know any better, enjoyed it, loved it, loved playing sports. But we didn't take annual vacations kind of the way that I do with my family uh, nowadays. And part of the reason why I'm able to do it is because I saved the money for it. And, you know, if I want to take uh, a little bit nicer vacation, uh, you know, the, I, I, don't, I don't really sweat the details because the money that I use for that vacation, I'm going to repay that loan plus some, and then I'm going to be able to do it again the next year. That's I always great. have a pool of money just for the vacations that we take with our family. And, you, you know, you have car financing here. Um, you know, that's another big one. If you, you know, out in the infinite banking world, anybody that searches it, they'll probably run into some example of financing cars. But, you know, I think vacations are, are you know, if, if, if they're a family like yours, where they're taking vacations every single year, I think that might be every bit as big of, a, of, a, of an opportunity to recover some of that lost opportunity cost that financing cars would be. Um, I, think, uh, I think it's a big one. For sure. So I don't drive fancy cars. I've, um, I did once and I hated it because I don't like uh, those $3,000 maintenance bills. <laughs> um, which, you know, I, I just can't, I, I don't know. I, I can't stomach them. I, I grew up in too much of a blue collar family. Uh, yeah. and so, you know, the most I, I really spend on my cars is about 20 to 30,000. Yeah. I don't even like doing that. And I, I will drive them until I can't drive them anymore. Uh, but I do finance them all through my IBC policies. And, uh, one of the other things that I do is, I just pay for liability insurance. And the reason why is because if I get into an accident, my own fault, and I need to repair my car, knock on wood, it hasn't happened once. I'm basically self-insured. I've got the cash value aside in my policies. So if I have a fender bender or worst case, I total my car, I've got the cash to go out and get my next car to self-insure. I mean that that's an interesting topic of just uh, mapping out all that uh, all the all the allocations of cash value that we could we could cover sometime. Um, but um, you know all of that stuff is so interesting when you know it just it shows the power of how many how much how many more options you have when you have cash when you are when you ha are in a position of of capital you have so many more options to control what you're paying for and what you don't have to pay for because anyone that finances a vehicle, they, they don't have the option to just get liability insurance because the, the lenders on their, on their vehicles won't allow that to happen. And if you lease a car, you have even fewer options. 
So it's, um, it's pretty amazing all the little things that can start to add up um, if you're in a position of cash. Yeah, I, I love having access to cash when I need it, when I want it, uh, for all these different reasons. So what are some larger capital expenditures that people could start to think of? That roof, the roofing thing is probably one. That's not a small job. Right. Well, we're, we're mainly talking about expenses. And, you know, we, we can have some large capital expenditures uh, each year and, and ongoing, like car financing. But the, the even bigger expenditures, that's where we're, I, I think for me, I'm either looking at it as a business owner and what, uh, you know, what my operations costs are for the year. Maybe I'm looking to expand my marketing budget. Uh, where's that money going to come from? Uh, beyond that, it starts to get into investments. Right. Rich dad, poor dad. If, if uh, anyone who's read that book talks about how the rich buy assets, the poor and middle class buy liabilities. And so, you know, in today's super low interest rate environment, using IBC to uh, buy liabilities um, isn't as powerful as it looked in the book just because of today's low interest rate environment. It's still powerful in the fact that you have more control and you have no payback terms on the loan. So you have a lot of protection that way, but just comparing interest rates, um, it, it doesn't look as good as it used to, but it's still very powerful. On the other hand though, when you start to get into the world of buying assets, it's incredible how powerful infinite banking is um, when you're when you're out there using the cash value to buy other income generating assets, for example. Yeah, and you know one of the things that I put down in the notes before I even got into investments, because we tend to think of investments uh, buying assets. Uh, for example, I listed Bitcoin, precious metals, buying rental uh, or commercial properties, and I also started off with a note. What about pursuing a master's degree or other higher related degree in your field of study or field of work? And we forget that, you know what, it would uh, potentially add to our bottom line to invest in ourselves to get that higher degree uh, so that we can move up the corporate ladder if that's where you're at. You know, so I, I think there's a lot of value in, in reminding people that you know, with the available cash value, that's something that you can do, not only tuition for your kids, but um, maybe it's, it's tuition for yourself, investing in yourself. That's right. Your number one asset, yourself. And, um, you know, not only is the cash value um, available to invest in yourself, like you said, pursue uh, a higher, you know, certifications, master's degree, other, other degrees related to your field, starting your own business. But what about what about protecting your income, which is if you, if you just look at how much money you bring in over the course of your life before taxes and interest takes a hold of it, it's by far your number one asset, right? Your number one financial asset. So also just having the life insurance component um, to protect that um, is, a, is a huge benefit. It's an added bonus. But let's talk about, you know, you take these loans and it's great that you don't have a repayment schedule, but what's the best way to make sure that 
you are getting the most use out of your money. Don't steal the peas. That's right. Be an honest <laughs> maker. So what does that mean? So what that means is you want to recapitalize. When, when you take a loan, I always tell people, look, you got to pretend like you're borrowing money from your parents. You'd never stiff them, right? <laughs> well, why would you steal from yourself? And at that, you want to repay those loans as quickly as you possibly can, because by doing so, you're going to get that cash value back into the policy so you can reuse it. That's right. I mean, you know, if you think of every dollar in your infinite banking policy, if you think of every dollar as a piece, as, a, as inventory that's generating income, it's like, why would you want to keep, why would you want to take money out of there and keep it out of there? We want to have as much in there as possible so that we can use that to do other economically positive things in our life. Absolutely. And then once you get used to sending in a payment, a loan repayment, what's going to happen is you pay that loan off and now you have additional cash flow that you're used to sending to the life insurance company anyway. Well, what do you do? You just redirect that loan repayment towards the PUA writer in your policy until you have it maxed out. And if you're at a, already at a point where you're maxing out your policy, you, my friend, have a very good problem on your hands. Right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's, that's where we would talk about starting your next policy, right? You've got that additional cash flow. Money has to reside someplace. And I would say, you know, <clears throat> being newer in the business than you are, um, I would say uh, about 20 to 30% of my clients already have multiple infinite banking policies. Yeah, because you're doing a great job of teaching them. You know, I get this question every once in a while. What's the point of having multiple policies? Well, you can't stuff all your income into just one policy. Uh, most of the insurance carriers, they're going to limit you to 25% of your income on that first policy. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say you don't want to bite off more than you can chew anyway, because it makes no sense to, let's say, have a policy designed and issued where you're putting $50,000 in a year, or at least you can, you have the opportunity to, but then you're only basically minimally funding it or even halfway funding it. And so you're not building the, the capital in the policy as efficient as, as you could be. So th this kind of gets into what I call future planning, but you want to make sure when you're getting started with your first IBC policy that you are maxing that PUA writer every single year. And when you are doing so to the point where you still have money left over, well, that's when you know you should be starting your next policy. The, the more access to cash you have, the more opportunities you'll have to use it for any purpose you can think of. It's that opportunity fund you mentioned. Nice. So you were talking about overcoming Parkinson's law in our notes. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Parkinson's law in Nelson's book, he basically describes it's one of the human weaknesses that we have to overcome. And the, the best analogy is, is time, right? If I say, John, 
you know, we, we've got to come up with our notes for episode eight and, you know, we're going to record it next Tuesday. Uh, when do you start working on it? Tuesday morning. <laughs> okay. I wasn't expecting that answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was I'm trying to go along with your, with your analogy. I'm trying to play the bad guy. <laughs> well, that was very bad. Um, but that, that's perfect. That, that, that illustrates the point that I was hoping to make. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. And this is what most people do, right? You know, right. you've got a, a work assignment due, or I know with my kids, um, at least two of them will wait till the very last minute to start doing their homework assignment. And so money is kind of the same way. Uh, you know, you, you go out and you buy that car and you pay it off and now you've got $500 in your cash flow to do something, yeah, right. what are most people going to do? Yeah, They're going to find a way to spend that money. And what yeah. you should be doing is saving it. If you want to build wealth, you, you've got to be able to think long-term and capitalize. And overcoming Parkinson's law as it relates to IBC basically means, look, you're repaying that loan. The loan's paid off. Well done, but don't stop there. Take that cash flow and now put it into the PUAs. And if your PUA writer is maxed out, start another policy. Do what you know McDonald's and Starbucks do, right? You know they have a profitable location. What are they looking to do? Add another location. That's that's basically what we do with IBC. We start another policy. The more buckets of money we have. The, the better off we're going to be long-term. Man, I love that analogy, um, the McDonald's and Starbucks analogy. And, and it, it reminded me of a conversation I was having this morning with my most recent client who was talking to me about buy term, invest the difference. And he's like, you know, he was, he was asking me how I, how I talk to people about that. Cause that's kind of what everybody thinks. Well, <clears throat> and what reminded me of it, of it was, you said that if, if you pay off your car and free up $500, what do most people do with it? They find something else to go spend it on. And that if you actually look at what most people do with buy term, invest the difference, do most people buy term and then actually invest the difference? Do they actually even know what the difference is? And so the, the answer is most, most of the time that difference is not invested at all. And so what you're ending up with is, is term insurance that's going to expire, which by the way, it's not necessarily bad. I, we, we do a lot of term insurance, but um, it's just that idea that it's that Parkinson's law that you're, that you're referring to where we're not really analyzing what we're doing with our money when it gets freed up. And so a lot of times it just goes to lifestyle and when it should be going to savings. Hey, if you really want to blow someone's mind, especially the, the buy term and invest the difference people tell them this, you know, if they're, if they're thinking that, you know, $50 a month is, is too much in premium for a life insurance policy and they're complaining about it. Ask them, well, you're financing a car. Where do you think the finance company gets that money to lend to you? <laughs> and they're going to shrug their shoulders. And, I don't know. Well, they get it from the life insurance companies. Right. The GMACs of the world, they're buying a block of money from the life insurance company 
adding their fee to it and then lending it to you. So indirectly, Mr. Car Buyer who finances through the finance company, you're actually sending money back to the life insurance company and you don't even realize it. And you're, you're okay with you know, spending 400, 500, $600 a month in your car payment, which is just going back to the life insurance company. And here you're complaining about paying 50 bucks on term insurance. Right. You're, you're completely missing the bigger picture. On the wrong side of that transaction. Yeah, completely on the wrong side of that transaction. I love that. That's great. You got to control your own pool of money. Control your own pool of money, be in control, become your own banker. And, you know, as, as you're doing that, you're buying assets instead of liabilities. And then you can use assets to purchase liabilities for you. It's pretty simple. All right. Well, John, I think that about covers it for this episode. Any, any additional thoughts you want to share? No, this has been fun. I always uh, like talking to you about this stuff. Yeah. And I, I liked uh, this topic in particular because it, I think it helps people to really think about how to use IBC rather than just thinking of it as a savings account, if you will. Um, because it's imperative that as Nelson says, use it or lose it. Right. All right, everyone. Well, if you want to contact us, if you have any questions, you can go to the fifth edition.com. Otherwise uh, we will be back with a new episode next week. Awesome. Thanks everybody.